As I said, we continue in our time of looking at salvation, and you'll see this is kind of a part three of this question. And we've been asking different questions looking at salvation. We started by asking the question, you know, how does a person become a follower of Jesus? And again, not so much what does our culture tell us, but what does the Bible actually say? How does a person come to know, uh, become a follower of Jesus? During this time, you will hear me never say the word Christian. And the reason for that is because there's so many misunderstandings of what that term means. Depending on where you live in, in, in America, sometimes, uh, especially when I was out in school down in, in Georgia at Tacoa Falls, everybody thinks that they're a Christian. So when we were talking with the, the homeless people on the streets of Atlanta, we almost had to tell them, listen, you, you think you're a Christian, but you're not really a Christian. You almost had to, to tell them that they were sinners in, in need of a Savior is, is what we had to convince them of. When I moved up to Massachusetts, most people in Massachusetts don't claim to be Christian. They, some of them claim to be Catholic, and so we had to explain to them that you know, it's not what you do that makes you a... So a follower of Jesus, that's what the Bible talks about as being the disciple, and that's what that term disciple means. So that's why I always use that phrase, a follower of Jesus. But how does a person become a follower of Jesus? It's through that public declaration, that baptism. It's through, again, baptism will save you, but that was the mentality, that public declaration. I am no longer going to follow my sin. I am now going to follow Jesus, and that's what baptism in the New Testament was all about. That repentance, turning from sin and turning towards Christ. And then we ask that question, what happens when, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus? And we saw the, the different things that we are justified. We have been declared free. We are redeemed. We are this new creation in Christ. In the past three weeks, we've been looking at this question, okay, what happens when a follower of Jesus sins? You know, First John, when we looked at the First John a few weeks ago, we saw, you know, God is perfect and He can have nothing to do with sin. That's what First John chapter 1 is all about. That God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Light and darkness, symbolic. Light means perfect. Darkness means sin. God is light. God is perfect and He can have nothing to do with sin. Which is why John goes on and say in that first chapter, if we claim to be walking in the, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, but we don't walk in the light, if we continue to live a lifestyle of sin, then we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in Him. And so when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, we are to live a holy life. A life that is dedicated unto God. It's not an option. When you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you make that public confession that I am now going to follow Jesus, then the term at the end of that section that we saw in verse 6 is we ought to, we are obligated to walk in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. But John himself knows that I know when a rubber hits the road, we're still going to make mistakes and we're still going to sin. And so as John goes on and says that as followers of Jesus, even when we sin, we still have forgiveness through Jesus. It's not a one and done. And a lot of people think that, oh, I come to know Jesus, and as soon as I, I sin one more time, my salvation is ripped underneath me. No. The same Jesus that provides us that forgiveness of our initial sin continues to provide us forgiveness of our sins even after we become a follower of Jesus. But then last week we started looking at this section in Romans chapter 6 
asking that question of, where, okay, does that mean that we can live what, whatever way we want to live? Because all we got to do now is it doesn't matter what I do. I can sin all I want now as a follower of Jesus. And I can just fill up my, my sin bucket and just go to Jesus and say, here you go, forgive me. And then, and then I go back. And, and it's just this recurring cycle. And, John, and Paul here in Romans chapter 6 pretty much says, if you understand, if you think that is the gospel of Jesus, you have lost your mind. You see, a follower of Jesus is baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection. And what that means is this. When, we looked at, when you look at baptism, and here we do a believer's baptism, and, and where you, we have a, a person that comes into the water, and we dunk them underneath the water, that's their public de- declaration that they are dead. Their old sinful self is dead. And they come up out of the water. And again, that public declaration that I am that new creation in Christ. I am alive. And that's what we looked at. Last week, a follower of Jesus is dead to sin and is raised to new life. And that's why Paul over and over again says, and it matters. As a follower of Jesus, how you live your life, it matters. If you think in yourself, oh, it doesn't matter how I live, I can live whatever I want because of this freedom in Christ. That is what, and still the term from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that is cheap grace. And what Bonhoeffer says in that Cost of Discipleship book is saying you don't fully understand the gospel of Jesus if that's your mentality that you have. Because your old sinful lifestyle is dead, is buried, is gone. And you are a new creation in Christ. And that's why Paul at the end of verse 4 says, if your Bible's open, let me read Romans chapter 6, verse 4, We therefore are buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too may live a new life. There's a change that takes place. Your desires, your ambitions, your hopes, everything about you changes when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we want to continue looking at this Romans chapter 6. There's one of the things with Paul, sometimes, you know, Paul, he, he was probably one of the smartest persons in the early church. He was training to be a Pharisee, and if you know anything about Pharisees, they, in order to be a, a, a Pharisee, you had to memorize the, the first five books of the Old Testament in Hebrew. And so you, there's, so he understood God's law. He understood the, the requirements. And on top of that, they added somewhere around uh, thousands of more laws to make sure they didn't break God's law. And that was what the Pharisees uh, did. And so you have this, this very intelligent guy, and sometimes his, his arguments, they're a little difficult to, to follow sometimes. And so I put a lot more passages of scriptures and highlighted things uh, like uh, a little bit more so we can kind of see his, his argument. And so as we begin uh, looking at this, understanding, okay, Paul flushes this out a little bit more. What really happens to me? What really happens to, oh, he says, my old self or my old man or this flesh? What happened to that who I was? before I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's where he continues, starting there in verse 5. For we have been united with Him in a death 
like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6, For we know that our old self, our old self has been what? Has been crucified with Him. You're following along there in your outline in your bulletin. That's the, the first point there. Our old self has been crucified with Jesus. And if you know your New Testament, hopefully another verse popped in your mind where Paul says elsewhere, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Again, we don't, we don't think about all these things. You know, this is what's happening when a person gets baptized, or this is what happened when a person raises their hand, or this is what happens when a person comes to an altar and says what we say, the sinner's prayer. But this is what happens spiritually. Their old, sinful life as who they are is dead. Is gone. As the Paul goes on and says in verse 6, we know that our old self or our old man was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be what? Might be done away with. Our sin has been wiped out. Sin, that sinner who we are, our old self, has been wiped out, has been done away with, has been, been thrown out, has been destroyed. That's the understanding there. Has been brought to an end. You didn't realize when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were actually, in a real sense, dying. In a real sense, you were attending your own funeral. And you were dying. And what happens is this, where Paul goes on and says this. So our old self is dead. That sin in our lives that controls us is dead. And what's the result? That we should no longer be slaves to what? The sin. See, we no longer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to obey sin. Because we have been set free from sin. We no longer have to obey and, and live in this slave to sin. That was our old life. That was our who we were before Christ. But instead now, because we have been crucified with Christ, instead because as we have, have been, our old sinful life has been dead, we don't have to live in that sin any longer. We are no longer a slave to sin. We'll see how this kind of functions here in a few moments at the end of this section where Paul goes on and says, okay, what does this mean? But this is more the theology side of things that we have to kind of wrap our heads around. That we no longer are slaves to sin. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus. Who are we in Christ? We're a new creation. We've been justified. We've been set free from sin. We have been redeemed. We have been reconciled. We now have peace with God. We were enemies of God going in the total wrong direction, but because of the gospel of Jesus, we now have peace with God. And, and again, that's why those things of reminding ourselves, this is who I am. This is who I am in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. is so important because we have to get to this place where we understand that my old sinful nature, my old sinful lifestyle is dead, is buried, is gone, and I'm a new creation in Christ, and I no longer have to live in a lifestyle of sin anymore. 
Paul goes on. Now we are dead with Christ. We believe that we also will live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. That's the interesting thing about Jesus' resurrection. And this is good news for us as salvation, for our salvation as, as well. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, you can go back and you can look at, at that scene there in, in the Gospel of John, but when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus comes out of that tomb. He's been dead for four days. Lazarus comes out of that tomb. If you read that scene there in the King James Version, it will say, Lazarus stinketh. If you read it in a more modern translation, it says that Lazarus had major B.O., body odor, if you uh, want to know. And so he comes, and again, you have the scene where he, they wrapped him like in a mummy, and so he comes flying out, kind of leaping, and, and, and Jesus says, go and untie him, go and unwrap him, and literally take, the, take off the, uh, the garments, the burial garments. But the interesting thing about Lazarus is this. Will Lazarus ever die again? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus rose him up from the dead, after he's been dead for four days, to die again, a second death. In fact, there's only one person throughout Scripture, and there's other resurrections that happen. If you want to read the, the Matthew scene of Jesus' death on the cross, there are Old Testament saints that get resurrected when Jesus dies on the cross. We don't really know what to do with that, and we don't really talk about that too much, but that really does happen. And then they go out and they preach the Gospel of Jesus after the resurrection again. But they all die again. There's only one person who rises from the dead who will never die again. And who is that? Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, Jesus died once, and He rose again, and He will never die again. Well, guess what? That's good news for us, because we died once. Our sinful nature is dead. We have this new life in Christ, and guess what? Paul says, we will be rise with Him. We will continue to have, again, that assurance of salvation we will continue to have this new life in Christ. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He dies to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And then verse 11. In this same way, count yourselves dead to sin. The word count means consider, think about. We are to consider ourselves again if we're a follower of jesus christ this is the mindset that we should have paul saying in verse 11 we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to god our old sinful nature that we have inherited from adam is dead is gone is buried into the ground and we have this new life in christ one of the books that I've been rereading is, is a book by a guy, what's called The Normal Christian Life. It's an old, older book. Um, a guy by the name of Watchman Nee was a, before the communists came into uh, China, he was a pastor there in China. And he writes this book, and, and one of the things, and you'll, to help understand that this is normal. 
This isn't meant for, hey, this is what happens to our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, as, as oh, that's for pastors, or that's for missionaries, or no. This is the normal experience that we all should have as a person that comes and know and puts their hope and trust in Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus. This is what happens to every single person, which is why Paul spends chapters 4 and 5 to explain that death came through one man, Adam, which is why when we all go back to Adam and Eve, yes, uh, physically we all go back to Adam and Eve, but also spiritually we all go back to Adam and Eve. And the only way we can be right with God is if our old sinful nature that goes back to Adam and Eve is dead and buried and we get a new nature, which is what happens when we come to know Jesus. And Paul says, consider yourselves dead. That old nature of yours is dead is buried. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. Again, that's the theology, if you want to say. But how does this practically play out in our daily lives? How does this affect how I live when in, in my family? How does this affect where, how I live in, like in, when I'm in, in the line of Walmart or when I'm down at the post office or, or when I'm at my job? How does this understanding affect? And Paul goes on and says in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. See, we are not to allow sin to be our king anymore. We are not to allow sin to be our king. I remember that, that track that was very popular when I was growing up in the, in the 90s, the four spiritual law, and you got to the end of the, the four spiritual laws, and they had this picture, and they said, no, who, what, who's on the throne of your life? Who's king of your life? Is it sin? Is it self? Or is it God? And again, as Americans, we don't like to use this terminology because we like our freedom. We don't like to think about kings and kingdoms and things like that. But Paul is saying here, because of what has happened in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, your old sinful life is dead. You are now in this new life. Do not let sin continue to be king of your life. Well, how do we do that? He goes on, so that you obey its evil desires, the cravings that are evil. As a man, I don't really understand Sometimes cravings, especially if you're a woman and you have, are in pregnancy, you, there are certain things that you crave. Some of them are goofy. Some of them maybe a little more realistic. But these cravings, you know, sometimes they, as, as a spouse, if, if your wife is, and if you maybe you've experienced this, if your wife has a craving as she's pregnant, so, and she's like, I really got to have this. Then you you got you got to find it, and sometimes that means going to the store uh, after it's all hours of the night, and you got to get that for for your wife. That's part of being a good supportive spouse. That's what Paul is talking about here: these cravings, these hungers, these desires. And what Paul is saying here is, is, no, don't allow sin to continue to be king of your, of your bodies. Do not obey its evil desires. Do not obey its, its, its cravings anymore. That's the difference between us people and animals. Do so you realize that? Again, our culture doesn't like this. But people are not 
like animals. Well, many of you know, we got uh, a dog uh, about a year ago. And one of the things that we have had to work with our dog because of him coming from the background that he came from as an abusive uh, a dog, uh, he grew up on a, a Amish uh, farm and was neglected. And he eats everything under the sun, literally everything. The point when when we first got him and he was out in our yard, we had to, he would go and he would eat deer poop. Not realizing, and we as new pet owners, so we made a comment one time to somebody that knows uh, this and said, you realize uh, deer poop is like very toxic to dogs. And we we're like, no, we had no clue. We just thought that was kind of goofy that he would do that. Over the past year, we had to work with him to help him understand and listen. We will take care of you. We will give you good food. You don't need to eat garbage. I walk him every morning. And, and as, uh, especially on garbage day, you know, sometimes the garbage doesn't end up in the garbage truck. There, there's every once in a while there is some food that gets left over. And I was walking by our neighbor's house, and they, they must have had bow tie uh, spaghetti one night because there is bow tie spaghetti all over the, the road. And so as we're walking, guess what our dog decides to do? Ooh, this looks great. And I'm like, buddy, to the point where he's a very smart dog. He's a Jack Russell and Australian cattle dog mix. He's very smart. To the point where now all I have to tell him is, buddy, that's garbage. And 90% of the time, he'll stop. But in so many ways, as believers in Jesus Christ, God is saying the same thing to us as believers. Why are you giving into the garbage when I want? I have so much more for you. Do not let sin be king of your life any longer. Don't give in to, don't obey these sinful cravings, these desires. Instead, what are we supposed to do? Well, he goes on there in the next verse. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness or unrighteousness. We cannot allow our physical bodies to be used as tools of unrighteousness for sin. And that word unrighteousness, NIV up here, is the translation says wickedness, but it literally means unrighteousness in the Greek. And that understanding means that we cannot allow ourselves, we cannot offer our, any part of our bodies we cannot offer them to be to lead us away from what is pleasing and honoring to God. And that's what unrighteousness is. Righteousness means to walk in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. Unrighteous means the opposite. We do not offer any part of our bodies as an instrument of wickedness or unrighteousness for sin. There's a kid's song that I sang up growing up that say, no, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, for the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. That's what Paul's talking about here. Every single part from our eyes to our mind 
to what we say with our mouth, to what we do with our hands, to where we go with our feet. Every single part of our lives. Paul says, do not offer them and use them for tools of unrighteousness. Do not do unrighteous deeds with them. But instead, what are we supposed to do? We are to offer yourselves to God. We are to offer ourselves to God. That's why Paul goes on. After he goes through Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, he goes and explains how every single person has this problem, which is sin. 4, 5, and 6, he explains this great gift of salvation that God has provided through Jesus and, and how this all works out, that, 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 that death came in, in Adam, and Adam, and this needs to die, and, and we have this new life in Christ. 7, 8, and 9, and, and 10, and 11 deals with, okay, how does this play out in our, and again, theology, how does this play out in, in our lives? What does this mean? And then you get to chapter 12 where, where Paul kind of says, okay, here how, here's how it applies. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of this great gift of salvation, how are we supposed to respond? And therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as what? As living sacrifices that are holy, totally dedicated to God that are pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is not singing. Maybe you have thought about this. So many times you say, oh, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship God. Worship is not singing according to the Bible. The worship that God requires of us is a holy life lived out, totally dedicated to Him. Again, I, I love music and there's so many songs that, that have that are good. And one of them, again, one of them was Matt Redman wrote, which is called The Heart of Worship. And what happened is Matt Redman, before he became onto the national scene, and he's from uh, somewhere over in Europe, uh, either Ireland or, or uh, Scotland or somewhere over there. Uh, and he was a worship path, what he called worship. He led music at his church. It became so popular in that area, that people were just starting to flock to his church just to hear Matt Redmond sing. It became a huge problem. And even Matt Redmond recognized, he said, listen, people are not, this isn't good. People are just coming to this church just for the music. So him and the pastor decided, you know what, for the next year, we're not going to sing any songs. We're going to cancel the music completely. You would think in your mind, hey, you know what, when that happened, the, 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 the church would die. Just the opposite happened. They spent more time in God's Word, more time preaching God's Word, and the church grew even more so. And then when they came back after that year, he wrote the song, Heart of Worship, where it says, When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth. I bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is, is not what you desire, but instead you want my heart. That's what Paul's saying here. We are to offer ourselves as those living sacred, offer ourselves to God. He goes on and says this, Offer every part of yourself to Him as what? As an instrument of righteousness. We're not to use our, our bodies, we're not to use our life, we're not to use our lifestyle as instruments of unrighteousness. We're supposed to offer them to God and say, God, here I am. I surrender everything that I am to you. And my hands, my, my eyes, every part of my body, 
my ambitions, my hopes, my dreams, every part of me, I offer them to you and you are to, and I give them to you. Allow me to live a life that is righteous, that is pleasing, that is honoring to you. Help me to walk in the light as you are in the light, as 1 John says. We need to offer our physical bodies as tools of righteousness to God. And then as Paul says this, for sin no longer, for sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because that old sinful lifestyle, that old sin nature of yours is dead, is buried, and you have new life in Christ. What happens is this. When a non-believer sins, they are just being consistent with who they are. But when a follower of Jesus sins, they are acting out of character. That's what Paul is saying here. And if you've been through our, uh, the time that we were talking about, the, the sexual orientation and, and sexual identity and, and so forth, that's kind of the, the same kind of process of what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You have no right to judge unbelievers. They're just acting like unbelievers. But you do have a right to judge believers. Because how they act, if they continue in a lifestyle of sin, they should know better. Because they're acting out of character with the character of Jesus Christ. That's not who they are. Again, I told you earlier that I'm reading that book, um, Normal Christian Life, and Watchman Nee uses this as an example for us to understand kind of how this all plays out. Here, this is a picture of a, a thermos. My dad every day took a thermos to work. In the wintertime, he filled it up with coffee. In the, the summertime, he, he filled it up with tea, not sweet tea, because we were northerners and we didn't know anything about sweet tea. So we did unsweet tea until we went to Georgia and we were like, oh, it's sweet tea. That's pretty cool. Uh, who would have thought to put a little sugar in the tea? So. But a thermos is a thermos. This thermos can't change itself because a thermos is a thermos. If you go to Amazon and you type in thermos, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get pictures of this because that's what it is. That's who we are in Christ. Because of the work of what God did in sending his son, that's what we celebrate this time of year, that God sent his one and only son to this earth. And 30, 33 years later, depending on how you date things, he would go to that cross. He would die upon that cross. He would pay the penalty of our sins. Three days later, He would rise again. And by faith, nothing that we can do, by faith, when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus has done, that's exactly what happens to us spiritually. Our old sinful nature gets crucified upon that cross. And we are raised to new life. And Paul says, walk in that new life. You are new creations. Why in the world are you trying to pick up and live that sinful lifestyle again? That's why Paul says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. No matter how minute you think in your detail of your life, we are to do it all for the glory of God. Another one, Paul says, 
Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? One of the things that when you look at the Olympics, I mean, people train for years to get to the Olympics. I had a friend, I was my brother's friend in high school. He was one of the best shot putters and discus people in the state of Pennsylvania. He got a full ride scholarship to go to the college, the train to make it to the U.S. Olympic team. I mean, that was what he was all about. And he went to the, the, the qualifying match and he missed it by one place. I mean, when you train as an athlete, you can ask any athlete. You, when, when it's that season, that's what your life revolves around. Only one person gets the prize. So what Paul says is this. Run to win. Don't run to get second place. Don't run and be like, well, I just, I just want to finish the race. That's how I ran cross country, which is why, why I probably hurt my team more than I helped my team. That's how I, I was on the golf team as well. I wasn't trying to be the best. I just wanted to go out and have fun. He says, run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for what? For this eternal prize. And what's that eternal prize? Well, we will be in the very presence of our Lord and Savior in heaven. And Paul says, that's what we should be running for. And it's okay if we have to say, no, I don't want to, I can't do this right now. Or no, I'm not going to be participate in this right now. Or no, I'm not going to, to, to have this part of my life. Because our number one focus is that I am going to get in the very presence of God and I want to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what matters. And we will get into more of this over the next several weeks. But that's how we should be running. Verse 26, So I run with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I, am, I have disciplined my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says, I take sin seriously. Because I don't want to be that guy who is preaching this is how it means to be a follower of Jesus. To live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And yet all of a sudden you hear. Well, did you hear what Paul did? The sin that he did. We gotta train our our lives. We gotta get rid of the sin. Stop allowing this these sin desires, these sin cravings to control us because we're not animals. Because one of the fruit of the spirits that we'll see in a couple of weeks is what? Self-control. Through the power of God's Spirit, we actually can say, No, no. We are dead to our sin. We are no longer to be defined as followers of Jesus Christ. We are no longer being defined by our old sinful nature that, that we got because of being a human that was born as a descendant of Adam. One of the pictures that we didn't get to when it, that question of you know, what happens when a person follows Jesus, one of the pictures is adoption. And it really is, especially in the Roman culture, this adopt, adoption where in our culture nowadays, if a, if a person's adopted, sometimes they, they are still semi-connected to maybe their, their birth parents or they, they can go back and find and so forth. In the Roman culture, when a person was adopted, 
all their files before were gone because they now have this new life as a son or a daughter in this new family. Again, that picture, our old sinful lifestyle is dead. It's been crucified. We now have new life in Christ. And Paul says, live in it. Don't let sin master you anymore. Offer yourselves as those living sacrifices to God. 